0: In a co-founder relationship, I think it's very important, whether the conversation is short or it takes, you know, months to have, that there's no underlying discontent or unsatisfaction with what the roles are going to be and who's going to lead the company. Because those things show up in the worst times, in the hardest times, and that's when the company needs the deepest alignment and trust and belief in the co-founders. Because even when the company's 10, 15, 20 people up through where we are now... The executive team, the leadership, the engineers, the, the sales folks, they know, they can see when there's misalignment in the leadership. Our coach often says when people onboard at your company, they listen to your onboarding, they read your onboarding docs, and then they pick their head up and look around and figure out how the company actually works.
1: Welcome to In Depth, a show that surfaces tactical advice founders and startup leaders need to grow their teams companies, and themselves. I'm Brett Burson, a partner at First Round, and we're a venture capital firm that helps startups like Notion, Roblox, Uber, and Square tackle company building firsts. On the In-Depth Podcast, we share weekly conversations with startup leaders that skip the talking points and go deeper into not just what to do, but how to do it. Learn more and subscribe today at firstround.com today's episode of In-Depth, I'm really excited to be joined by Manu Sharma and Brian Rieger. They are the co-founders of Labelbox, a collaborative data training platform that creates and manages labeled data for ML applications. In today's discussion, we take a microscope to their co-founder DNA, exploring the ins and outs of how they've made the relationship work over the years. Manu and Brian talk about how they came together as co-founders after meeting at college and how they landed on the idea for LabelBox. The duo walks us through how they very intentionally align their skill sets, values, and responsibilities as co-founders long before writing a single line of code, with Manu as the company's CEO and Brian as the COO. They both share tons of actionable ideas for other co-founding teams facing similar questions in their early days. Next, the conversation turns to what they've learned running LabelBox at scale, five years from the founding of the company. Manu and Brian discuss how they approach spending intentional time together as co-founders, even as the company grows. They share their list of starter questions they lean on to prompt discussions that drive beneath the surface and make the case for why co-founders should share an executive coach. Finally, they close out by exploring how they run the executive team and who has decision rights over different areas of the business. We've talked about co-founder relationships a bit on the podcast before, but I've never had the opportunity to do so with both co-founders providing their unique perspectives. Manu and Brian both have extremely valuable advice for other founders either those in the early stages of looking for a co-founder or folks who want to add a little magic to an existing co-founder relationship. One place we could start is going back in time to the founding story of the company. And I'm particularly curious how you two came together as co-founders and was it idea first and then you came together or you two decided you wanted to start a company and then tried to find a mutual opportunity together? Manu, you want to kick it off?
2: Brian and I know each other since college. We first met in our, I believe it was a junior or a senior year. We both went to a school that was very aviation and aerospace focused. So the only chance why some would someone be there is because of the love of airplanes and space travel and so forth. Brian and I were actually in competing teams to design and build an airplane as part of our Capstone project. The intensity and care and attention to the projects that we both were providing at that time is what captured our attention and we became friends by the end of that project. That was just the start of a number of projects that we would do over the course of 10 years until founding Labelbox. We worked on research projects and then Went on to starting small companies that we wished would become quite big, but they were really an attempt in many ways in aerospace industry or renewable energy. We just went through so many of these projects, worked together for over 10 years, including sleeping in the same room, the dorms that we lived in in college, that I think has a lot to do with coming back again and building LabelBox.
1: Brian, why do you think the co-founder relationship has worked so well for you all?
0: Now that we've built a company with nearly 200 employees, the thing that stands out to me beyond what Manu mentioned in terms of just having spiritual alignment and commitment is a deep trust. Because when you're operating with another co-founder and you're trying to steer a company sort of like a ship... There are many moments where you're speaking by yourself to other people, and it's inevitable that you're going to need to have a lot of margin and deep trust with the other co founder so that you can make decisions on the fly and so that you can talk to people in a way that works through their challenges and all the while knowing that your co-founder will always align with you, even if from their perspective, it may be perceived as I'm going in a different direction or slightly misaligned, you need your other co-founder to know that there's the best interest and spiritual alignment there and that there's never perfect, full and complete information. But knowing that the paths are going in the same place and that at some point later or maybe not, you get the full understanding is really important because that allows you to have a lot more latitude in what you can say and do. What do you think about your
1: skill set and values and how those two things for each of you fit together in the co-founding dynamic that you've developed?
0: We have very different skill sets. Manu is a doer and a product thinker, voraciously interested in what people need, what people want. And he's very good at understanding the nuance around how technology should work or products should work generally. And he's able to understand that quickly and synthesize that into a tool, a product, essentially. And he's always pushing and driving and holding the team to deliver every single day. My skill set is much more of a system builder and an organizational builder. And so I almost think of it as Manu's got his machete out and he's forging a path through the jungle and I'm paving the road and creating the apparatus that allows that to keep happening.
1: Manu, how would you describe it? And I'm curious, how would you describe your own values alignment? One is this complementary skill set systems versus execution or product versus systems. And it seems like you organically found values alignment in one another because you spent so much time together. But if you were to pick it apart, how would you describe not necessarily just the company's values, but the compatibility of your
2: own values? One of the core value that brings us together is craftsmanship, understanding there is this idea out in the world about quality, that there is something that can be better. And when you experience them, it's a spiritual experience when you interact with things that are built with high intensity and high quality. I thought about this actually quite a lot, and it's a very recent realization that I can succinctly describe the core value that brings us together and has kept us working together for all this time. There is something to learn from our past. I grew up in India, in a small town, in a family of artists and engineers. Everyday experience for me was to go to my grandfather's car painting shop. They were building furnitures and selling those things. My dad used to work in a textile factory. I would go interact with these machines that converted cotton to thread and fabric. I spent most of my time in school building things that spurred my curiosity. And I actually learned that Brian's upbringing in many ways has been like that in Davis, California. He grew up in a family of artists and engineers. His dad is a incredible builder. In fact, he's currently just built an airplane for himself that he is now starting to flight test. He's a furniture builder. And so Brian grew up building things, machines and so forth. When you spend a lot of time with tools and the act of creation, I think it's very fair to say that people build AI for quality. Like what makes great tool versus a normal tool? And a great tool will give you that delight. And there's something about it that it can do that other things cannot do. So all of these experiences really shaped our view of the world. In the 10 plus years of working together, we have seen the world and learned from the world and validated our thesis. Like this is how quality and craftsmanship and things are built. In this whole time period, it brought us even more closer than ever before. And these experiences have spanned across building things, obviously, like we've built companies and products and different companies, but also experiencing art, music, and other forms of creation, flying airplanes, etc. It really is this core that has brought us together and has now transformed ourselves into a great team through which we build and are building Labelbox.
1: That's really interesting. How about in what ways would you say you're different from a values perspective, but it still seems to
0: work? I'm potentially more interested in values than just skill sets. I don't know if patience is a value. Maybe patience isn't the right word, but it's a way of affecting the world in some sense. So Manu tends to go right at the thing and to directly affect it very tactically, directly. I think about affecting the world more as a set of incentives that exist. We approach problems differently and we value the solutions, I suppose, differently in that way. The strength, the power is to trust each other's judgment, and have good conversations where we can determine which is the right approach or which is the right leaning for a particular thing we need to do or problem or opportunity that we want to go after. Do
1: you name that explicitly when you two are discussing and debating things that you come at it in different directions, or it's just implicitly part of the conversation, or is there an example that comes to mind that
0: can illustrate the point? We do talk about it now particularly Label box has really helped us refine the words that describe this and the way that we can identify and act appropriately in this way. There are many examples where we have a part of our organization. It has all the people. It's the right size or it has the right skill sets, but there's organizational challenges. There's system challenges. So let's say the engineering team, for example, is struggling to deliver or struggling to organize its leadership or It's trying to align itself organizationally, that the organizational foundation is weaker. That's a really good opportunity for my skill set to address. And that has happened. I have run engineering in the past. There are other organizational challenges. For example, our federal team, where we need to build it from scratch. We need to go and exactly figure out what the core theme of that team is going to look like, who those initial people are going to be, what the problem we're going to really solve is understanding how we're going to service our federal United States customer or customers. That's a really great opportunity for Manu. That's one example on an organizational side. We've done this as well on the product side and in other areas as well.
2: I think one of the areas where I've found distinction in our value system is, Where we find joy in building, I tend to be more romantic in a sense that I like the idea of building a solution that is effective in the context it's been designed for. And that is the thrill for me to go build things that just work. The way users interact with it is what gets me very satisfied. Brian, on the other hand, actually finds a lot of joy in the process in the inner workings of how these things were built and what was the creative process like, what were the things we had to go through, and why is that user interacting with our creation and how that user is finding joy in that system. In a way, he takes a very rationalist approach to understanding and admiring systems, whereas I kind of skip all of that. and really come to the outcomes of it. I think these are very distinct value systems of creation and admiration of tools. But I really admire the way of thinking that Brian has because it always takes me out of my natural thinking and also smell the roses and look at the tea leaves, finer details that I had overlooked in the past.
1: How does this all translate into more specifically how you run the company together? Where you choose to align on decisions, where you choose to divide and conquer? how you approach disagreements,
0: things like that. We, for many years, had discussed that whoever cares about the thing more, we discuss amongst each other. Let me take this, or I'm really interested in solving this, or I think this is the right fit for me. And that always seemed very strange because we never interacted with others that had that way of figuring out who's going to focus on running a particular team or focusing on particular problems or parts of the company. And then I met the Stripe founders at a first-round event, they said the same thing. And everybody was just aghast about this. And I was nodding along like, yeah, that's it. It was fun to find another co-founder group that thought that way. But we do have a very direct, frank conversation about, I care about this more, or I think this is the right fit for me. And we trust each other on that piece. So over the course of LabelBox, we've both run every part of the company at one point or another. We've both worked on different parts of the product directly. We've settled down a little more now at that tactical level, just because we have an executive team now. It has changed a little bit in how tactical we go after problems, but we still do that same thing where we'll talk about areas or themes of the business that fit our skill sets and that we care about more. We trust each other and the key element is to hold each other accountable to the outcomes, of course. That's sort of how we operate.
1: Are there examples of situations where you both cared equally
2: about the thing and had to navigate through that? There are a number of situations. One comes to my mind is in the early days of LabelBox, basically this is first two years since 2018, we were experimenting with our pitch deck to present to prospects all the time. Like what would be the narrative and how would we make a compelling pitch? I think that we went through a number of iterations where I have a point of view and go with that pitch deck and go out there and find success with selling that narrative. And actually, Brian will go out there with his own version of pitch deck, and he'll also find success out there. We will come back and we'll still look at each other decks. And Brian would say, you're too focused on features and you need to have problem and solution and compelling value propositions. And I would say, well, that's too broad. I want to be very specific. So that's a conundrum or debate we would be in. And I think more often than not, when we have the strong opinions, we continue making very compelling pitch against each other. Like, I think, Brian, I can do a better job at this because I have this vision or particular ways I would want to improve this thing. And it's just an act of convincing one other. So at some points, one of us just gives up. So Yep, yeah, Brian, just go ahead and do it. I look forward to seeing the results. And if that doesn't work that way, maybe I'll jump in and, and do it in a different way.
1: When you two align on the overlap of someone's skill set and who cares more about something, does it then look like a DRI type of dynamic where that person owns the processor outcome end-to-end and the other co-founder can provide feedback, but that person is driving it? What does it actually look like when you kind of divide things up in this simple framework?
0: So we have one of our operating principles at the company, which is the RACI matrix. So responsible, accountable, consulted, and informed. And so we use that matrix. It's one of our main operating principles now for the company. That matrix really helps define that framework of accountability and work. So we get the matrix out, we do an exercise. The matrix itself, the end product, isn't really where the value is. It's in the collaborative creation of it. The rows of the matrix are the different parts of the work or the outcome. So if it's a pitch deck, there's the design elements, there's the narrative elements, there's the deck itself, there's the enablement of the deck, let's say, to the sales team, and there's the success of the deck in some sense. We will decide who's accountable for those elements and who's consulted and who's informed about them and who's responsible. And the really important parts are the accountable and the responsible the accountable person is the one whose name is on the outcome. And the responsible can be anybody that's working on it, let's say. And then consulted are people that you seek input from. We use that all the time. And we get really tight around the accountable the responsible piece. And that allows us to align on whose neck is on the line, so to speak, for getting it done.
2: And actually, that is how we now have brought this across the company. As Brian mentioned, it's an operating principle. Crossing the Dunbar number, we find it incredibly useful to always have a single person that is accountable for an outcome. I think that is 80% of the problem in growth is to provide clarity to everyone, like who is the single person accountable for it and who gets to decide one decision or the other about that certain topic.
1: How else would you say either your relationship, the way in which you work or co-run the company has changed over the past five plus years?
0: One thing that we used to do a lot more in the open, I would say, because we've known each other so long and we're very intense and passionate, but have a deep trust and alignment is we would get into very vigorous debates that looked, I think, like arguments, serious arguments. But for us, it's just how we elucidate the whole topic. And figure out what to do. We realize that that can seem a little odd to the employees and so forth. So we've talked both about that more openly. That we're having good faith arguments. At least that's our attempt. We're very passionate about them, and we value that a lot. But we've taken some of the more intense discussions and been mindful about where they occur, and that's been good coaching for us from our coach. But we've also brought that spirit and try to bring that spirit to the company. The kernel of that, which is We want to be wrong for as little time as possible about anything, and we don't want any groupthink to be going on where people don't feel comfortable or they feel like there's some taboo topics or whatnot that can't be discussed or asked about, and that the culture of the company is one of intense debate and finding the best ideas through that, and to be passionate about what you think and finding that best solution or best idea. That is much more difficult in the remote setting. So we're really thinking about carry that forward. When we look at great artists and great work in the past and know great product builders and engineers, they have this intensity. And so we're very keen on having that culture in the company. So we try to exemplify that as much as we can. How do you think about excellence in each of your roles?
2: I see my role at the moment to produce very compelling products that AI community use every day for building their AI applications. If you just get that right, everything else falls in its place. It's such an exciting market, so much dynamism, and the rate of progress seems to be accelerating. Our mission since the beginning has always been to build best-in-class products across the entire life cycle of AI development. And today we have three products, annotate, model and catalog. And it's just really exciting what customers are doing with these three products. Building products is really hard, especially the second and third products. As you probably know, Brett, you've been thinking about this a lot. So a lot of my role is building teams, taking risks, iterating and so forth to get these products right. In my view, Brian's role is to build organization, systems, processes, and a culture that enables us to build these great products in perpetuity, in a way. Brian is really great in thinking in terms of systems and processes and incentives. He has designed the entire organization that exists today. Sometimes he has to go build an organization and function and design its purpose. Sometimes he has to optimize that or refactor these teams. Sometimes he will work directly in special projects that are strategically important for a label box company to endure long-term. That's how I would describe the two roles. In terms of excellence, it is about building the best-in-class products that the company is betting on. It is about building an enduring culture and a place that people come and do their best work.
1: One of the things that, Brian, you mentioned a couple of minutes ago is working with a coach. Do you two work with the same coach? And what are some of the ways that that coaching
0: relationship has impacted you both? We do work with the same coach today. We were lucky to have been told probably in the first six months of LabelBox that we should get a coach. And we did. At the time, we had different coaches. The coach that we jointly have is one of the coaches that I had at the beginning. For the first few years of Labelbox, the coach was really impactful in rapid skill set and leadership development for me because I have been generally an engineer for my career and I didn't know a lot about how to be a leader, manage, or any of those sorts of things, even to the point of. How do you feel good at the end of the day when you're not writing code anymore? You're not designing a schematic for an airplane anymore. You're aligning and guiding and coaching other teams. There's a whole skill set there. It seemed very scary at the beginning. It seemed like this dark art, this magic. But my coach really helped me put that into defined skills and measurable outcomes and made it tangible. But nowadays, we have the same coach and... The most important thing, the thing that we spend almost all the time on is alignment. How do we get alignment together when the company is so much larger? We're spending a lot less time directly working on adjacent or the same thing. So we develop new systems and ways and cadences and conversation starting points to ensure that happens. Do you two do the sessions together or separately? We do both. We do sessions individually and together.
1: Do you find that having the same coach working in this way has been critical to you both? I feel like the idea of, as you begin scaling the business or even early on, having a coach has become more of a common best practice. But I think for co-founders, having a coach work with you together is a little bit more atypical these days. And
2: so curious what the impact has been for you all. The biggest impact for me has been understanding how each of us make decisions and The context that we are both operating under. An example would be that Brian has a very methodical approach to understanding a problem and then coming up with a solution. And it can take its due course and time, and he needs space to digest and work with the problem. Whereas my tendency would be that I will just attack it right away and come up with a couple of solutions and maybe even just go execute that. These are very different way of dealing with problems, and if I'm expecting Brian to solve problems in a constrained timeline that I'm projecting to it, obviously we will have a disconnect and misalignment of expectations and so forth. Understanding how we each make decisions, sense our environment, has been one of the most impactful things that I've learned through the joint coaching. Because in a joint coaching session, we're able to ask questions to each other and validate or invalidate our hypothesis about each other very quickly, where our coach is mediating that and going multiple layers deeper into anything that we perceive of each other. I'm not so sure that we would have been able to do so with any coach. It's really like a three-person team, and we got really lucky to have found the person we work with. But I'm not so sure with the coaches that we were working independently before would be able to provide the impact that we are having now. So we get together once a month with our coach, and it is our time to bring the hairiest problems that we are experiencing in our company that could be solved by working together. And oftentimes, working together and aligning on a solution and then going back to the company and then executing that is very effective it's really through this joint session where we are very rapidly able to arrive to a common understanding that otherwise we would not be able to do so necessarily independently ourselves the reason is because the coach now understands how each of us makes decisions and how each of us understands our environments and like to act in a default way so she is able to work through all of that context and guide the conversations to arrive to a new way to approach this problem, which has been very effective, in my opinion.
1: Outside of coaching, are there other rituals or things that you two have done together over the years that have had an outsized impact on your co-founder relationship or the way that you run the business together?
0: We found more in the last year or two that as the company scales, we spend less time Looking at the same things or working on the same things, or even things that are adjacent to each other, because it's just a large organization. So, we intentionally spend many hours on Friday every week. And part of the conversation is structured. We have a little script that we go through, little starter questions that usually are very fruitful. And then we also have a lot of time and then lunch to have more open-ended conversations and muse and discuss and let the conversation go organically. And that's where we find a lot of the novel ideas and interesting opportunities and confluences where we can have nonlinear outcomes. In addition to that, we spend quite a bit of time together outside of work, you could say, seeing artists that we enjoy and going on trips That's really important because it continues to develop a relationship, and we'll have a free-form conversation that can span many days on a trip. We'll have vigorous debates. We'll have time to think ourselves and come back, and I think that's really important as well because we see the world very differently, and usually the best ideas and solutions are a combination of both of the ways that we see the world and how a solution could exist or a tool could be built.
1: In terms of the Friday meeting that you have, What are the starter questions that you use?
0: The first one we start with is, what are your recent observations about the business? It's been a really good question. Many of the ones after that are around that. What are the most important things that we should be working on? What is the biggest challenge that you're seeing? Things like that, things that evoke reflection about the company. When you're in the soup, it's a little hard to see the whole thing. So those questions are designed to step back and observe outside of your own world a little bit and just challenge the ongoing running thoughts in your head that are often very contextual and very narrow. Because if we start the conversation with, we have this issue where we're trying to scale the database and da-da-da, it's very hard for the other to participate. And it's also not quite the whole enchilada. So we try to step out of that soup a bit and look at the whole thing. Those are the sorts of questions that we start with often we have good actions and outcomes in conversation and then it naturally flows into more future and ideas and what are the big opportunities out there? How's the market shifting? And what have we heard from our partners and our customers and advisors and things like that? How did you develop those? With our coach. And those are designed to create alignment because as many mentioned, there's these lurking multi-month things and those are very often Company level, they can feel existential. These are often big topics. You don't have a time on your calendar typically to think, okay, I'm worried in a year that we might have undue pricing pressure or competition for this product, or I'm worried that this team isn't going to scale in the way that we need. Typically, your day is filled with a little bit more tactical things. It's important that there's alignment at that level because if there isn't, then They come to a head in a really ugly way, in a really powerful way that causes a lot of disruption. And they'll often come out in a conversation that doesn't have the time or the allocation to fully explore. And that's really the worst situation. I make an offhanded comment in a different conversation that takes a step back and conveys that I'm worried more broadly about this. We may only have five more minutes before we need to go do something else. So that conversation can't occur And these Friday sessions are designed to create the space for that. We have many hours of time. You need that amount of time because if I make a comment about some broader, more existential thing that I'm concerned with or some big opportunity that I think we should think about and we don't have the time to talk about it, then the other person may not fully understand and that can be interpreted in lots of different ways that are often not fully formed because these things do take some time to explain and convey.
1: Building on some of these ideas, other than the story that you shared about the constructive debate that you have, it's ideal to potentially have it in private versus have in public. What are the changes that you've had to make as you've built an executive team around the two of you? And what are the friction points or things you figured out where the co-founder dynamic, because you are both executives on the executive team as well as co-founders, what are the things you figured out about making that transition work or problems that you've had to
0: solve or unlocks along the way? For a long time, we, in effect, led different parts of the business. So my role over the past two or three years has been to lead the go-to-market part of LabelBox. And Manu's role has been to lead the product engineering and design and be the leader of the company overall, the direction. And we had to get really clear with the executives about who makes final decisions. I think that's ultimately what executives want to know because they're very good at what they do and they know what to do. They want to know, okay, I want to do this thing. I want to hire these people. I want to go to market in this way or develop the engineering team in this way. If I'm the head of sales and I work for Brian, does Brian need to go to Manu or do I need to get both of them to agree? We learn quickly that we need to be very explicit about that. So Manu did a good job of saying, if Brian makes a decision in these areas or in general, that decision's all you need. It's final. It's approval from the company. So that worked for many years. And that was really important because you need to create clarity of decision-making and authority in the company. That's a caveat of having different co-founders lead different parts of the business. But it was also a strength because we could split our time and have authority and also move more quickly and with more context. What we've learned now as the company's grown even larger is that we've now aligned all of the go-to-market and engineering product design teams together, and Manu leads that now. And that's because as the company's grown, it's very important that all of these teams have a thematic leadership. So what we were finding is that just the nature of organizations, there was some growing separation between the two functions. I think that's just the nature of making decisions quickly and somewhat independently. And as the exec team has grown and as these teams have grown, and as the product and the go-to-market functions work together and have more leadership, we found that we needed more thematic, combined decision-making for that part of the business. And now that we have executives in all of these different functions, that becomes more scalable. Because now there's only a handful of executives that report to Manu for all of that. You don't have that luxury when you're 80 people. There were parts of the company, let's say finance or let's say marketing or product where we didn't have an executive. And so there was a lot more direct reporting as the company's getting built where it was just untenable in some ways to have one leader have 10 senior leader direct reports. But now that we have good executive team, that becomes much more scalable and doable. And now we can take advantage of having a thematic leader for all those areas.
1: Manu, what would you add there? How would you build on what Brian shared in terms of this idea of transitioning from co-founders where you two are co-running the business to bringing executive team around you and making that incredibly high functioning?
2: The fundamental way we see executive team is essentially a sports team. Each of us are players and we have a role to play. And there is essentially a scorecard. It's a highly professional environment in a sense that it is a sports team. And in many ways, we are working together as a team to win the championship or the games. And also have an understanding that if we have any challenges, we would make a change and adapt to a new configuration or a new team. This understanding and awareness was a journey for us in the first two or three years to arrive to. And of course, we had to adapt our own ways of decision making. As Brian mentioned, we would furiously debate on things that would be seen or could be seen by others as these guys are fighting. For us, that was never the case, but it was just how we have adapted over this long relationship we've had with each other. So we don't do any of that at this point. We are very aware of that. And if we do that, People know around us that that is just how we work and that is just how we make decisions. In terms of high-functioning E-team, it's very small. There's very clear agenda for every single person. As I mentioned, there's a scorecard for that player in the sports team. And it's very clear to everyone that is what it matters for us and that the person gets to decide nearly everything about their role, their department and function. And we actually expect that person to be making those decisions. And if you have to make decisions on their part, in a way we are failing with the E-team configuration. So those are some ideas that comes to our mind on how we operate today.
1: So we've touched on a number of different pieces of the co-founder dynamic and co-founder relationship. I'm interested, when you two both zoom all the way out, what advice, specific advice or more tactical advice would you give either people looking for a co-founder or people in a co-founder relationship that they really want to thrive in the coming years?
0: Deciding our roles at the beginning of LabelBox was probably one of the shortest conversations we had. We basically got around a table and who's going to be the CEO? That was interesting for a lot of reasons, but I think one of the things that was important about it is that There wasn't any underlying discontent with the roles as we set them up. That could have been the case, particularly given how short the conversation was. Everybody just kind of agreed and went back to building. But that was so important at the time. And I think that's really important in co-founder relationships. And I see having interacted with a lot of different companies and startups and co-founders. It's very common for co-founders to disagree ultimately as the company begins to scale or it's having issues. In those hard times, you really don't want to be backed out all the way to like, hey, I think I should run the company instead and you should take a hike. The whole thing's coming apart if you're there. In a co-founder relationship, I think it's very important whether the conversation is short or it takes months to have, that there's no underlying discontent or unsatisfaction with what the roles are going to be and who's going to lead the company. Because those things show up in the worst times, in the hardest times, and that's when the company needs the deepest alignment and trust and belief in the co-founders. Because even when the company's 10, 15, 20 people up through where we are now, the executive team, the leadership, the engineers, the sales folks, they can see when there's misalignment in the leadership. People are really good at understanding this our coach often says, when people onboard at your company, they listen to your onboarding, they read your onboarding docs, and then they pick their head up and look around and figure out how the company actually works. It's true. And people are really good at that. Figuring out how the company actually works, who's really in charge, who's the authority, is there alignment? Is there discontent amongst co-founders or executive leaders or whatever? And there's a lot of interesting behavior that can occur if they identify that. And they'll lose faith, they'll take advantage of it and what we've seen to be in sometimes deeply malicious ways in order to get another title or whatever. You encounter so many people when you hire hundreds of them. The co-founder relationship needs to have some deep alignment about what the roles are going to be up front. And that's often a bizarre conversation because it can feel so irrelevant in some ways because maybe it's just the two or three or four of you or whatever and, and you're just building this little web app and all this stuff. But you need to have that conversation if you're the one leading it or whatever, I think it's important that you make sure that everybody's good with that. Sleep on it, shower on it, talk to other folks about it, but be good with that. And the other thing I would say is when I talked to earlier founders, they often ask these questions about stock. Like, well, I came up with the idea and I built the initial web app and now I'm bringing on a friend or someone I've worked with in the past who's going to be the COO or CTO or person who runs go-to-market, let's say. And they'll want to divvy up the equity in some sense based on what's already happened. So they'll say, I'm going to be the CEO. And since I built the initial web app in the past couple of months, I'm going to take 60%. That might be fine. But what I would suggest is really thinking about the long-term arc of the business. Every day forward, more value is going to get created exponentially. That's what a startup is. The first three months actually have almost no value In terms of equity, when the company has some sort of liquidation event or when that equity actually is meaningfully valuable. So think about equity more as earning it in the future. And because it's a startup, every next day is going to have exponentially more value. So the equity should really reflect that. When people try to use the past or the first couple months where I came up with the idea and so on to allocate disproportionate equity, that can drive a lot of discontent amongst the team because It may turn out that the person you brought on for 30% or 20% or a lesser share actually flourishes and becomes this incredible leader of sales and has this immense impact on the business. And when they realize that they have that capability and they flourish in that way, they're going to be thinking about the fact that they're not partaking in the company's outcome in the same way. That's a risk area.
1: That's great. Manu, what would you share in terms of things that you figured out that might be useful to other co-founders that are starting a business or scaling a business?
2: I see co-founding relationships no different than a musical band. It is a handful of people coming in together and there is an act of creation and the level of intensity that goes into creating that work musical bands, like these people really can tell what the next note you're going to play. Probably no different than sports teams and a number of other acts that are basically team driven, usually requires more than one person. I have found that you really have to build a team or co-founding team and people who deeply resonate with the same set of values, the same set of Understanding of quality, like what is the kind of thing that they want to build in the world and what would be the characteristics of those things and the flavors of those things and the flavors of experience that they want to go create together. Because the company building, generally speaking, and similarly with other domains, these acts are really hard. And in the toughest times is only those spiritual and deep connections. The innate desire to continue building in that particular form or have certain attributes is the thing that will keep people wake up next day and choosing to work together again to continue building things. In a way, it is every day these people are making decisions. They wake up and they're deciding that they're going to work together to go build these things. And that reason has to be very compelling and has to come from a very same source of place to build something enduring. Yeah, what
0: we chase and what we really always share is when you use a tool or a product or experience music in a way that it makes you feel powerful as a human. We're basically just all the tools that we have created, the human species. If you take all our tools away, we're back to square one. We love the pursuit of that ability that makes you superhuman compared to the prior generation or early humans. It makes you so much more capable But these tools have to inspire you to do these things. So they have to be a pleasure to use. And that's, I think, innate in that quality element is you understand intuitively how to use these technologies or tools. You can be more capable, more superhuman in using them. There are a lot of things we use where we're like, that's not a very good tool or it doesn't inspire me to build the next great thing. I just have to use it or I can't afford the better one or whatever. We share that pursuit. So in the hard times, that aligns us. That is important in the co-founder relationship. Where do you want to end up? There are a lot of different types of companies and styles of we'll build this thing and then we'll exit or we want to build an iconic business or how bold of bets do we want to make? How contrarian can we be or how differently can we think or how disruptive do we want to pursue the technology? How far do we want to leap forward if we're successful? That's important because that gets to the whole endeavor in and of itself in terms of how much risk the team is okay with, how bold you can be. And the more risky and more bold and the more disruptive, I think, often requires belief and alignment to different levels. There will be many times where everybody else in the world is going to be saying that's not going to work. That's not the way it should be, or I don't get it. And LabelBox was like that in the beginning. No one really got it. We said, hey, we believe this. That has always brought us together. We've had this big appetite for building bold ideas, being contrarian. And when you're in a room and everybody else is saying, I don't get it, or it's not going to work, you only have your co-founders. They have to believe the same that you, because that's kind of it. That's your team. That's your belief system. It's all right there, right in front of you, right around one table. Those are the only people that believe the same thing. With that, you can create great things or you can have disastrous failures. But that's really at the crux of where these things are make or break, I
2: think.
1: I think that's a great place to end. Thank you two so much for joining us. This
0: was great. Thanks for having us.
2: Thank you for having us.